Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So now Posey ranges away and throws it so high. There are some intangibles that those projections failed to take into consideration. The crowd was going crazy. There's not much in life that's better than that. You're listening to Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys on the 95.7 The Game Podcast Network. Hello there. Welcome back to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys Podcast. Sam Lubman here with Joe Shasky. Episode 53, 53, the combined points by Stephen Curry and Dante DiVincenzo in Game 7 against the Kings on Sunday. Uh, I know this is a Giants podcast, but we're still kind of cheesing about that Warriors victory on Sunday. And when you think, you know, Big performances in Game 7 like Steph Curry did on Sunday. It's hard not to think about another great performance in a Game 7, and that was Madison Bumgarner's back in 2014. Shasky, uh, I'm going to bring you in here with a very unfair and impossible question. Who had the better Game 7, Steph Curry or Madison Bumgarner? I mean, one was on the World Series stage. Um, you know, I, I would even put Pablo's three home runs against the greatest pitcher of that time, Justin Verlander. Uh closely behind Matt Bumgarner is clearly the number one, but closely behind him. I mean, Pablo hitting four home runs, three home runs, excuse me, in that game was unreal. I mean, Reggie Jackson yeah. and Babe Ruth, that was unbelievable. And then in terms of like first round, cause I watched a lot of giants playoff series, you know, Hackman Leonard, obviously having a great postseason, That was special. Cody Ross special. That first performance from Tin Lincecum in 2010. Oh, yeah. That right? Was... That that 15K performance on the same night Roy Halladay threw a no-hitter. Like, that's what I was thinking of in terms of, like, opening playoff rounds uh, performances. That was an all-time was performance. Tone setter. Oh, yeah. It was a tone setter for that postseason yeah. run. Really a, a tone setter for the, the five-year run that we Absolutely. were about to witness. Talk about, you know, just... Oh, first round elimination games, great performances. I kind of think about, you know, Buster Posey's grand slam in game five against the Reds. There you go. That was another good one there. But, you know, again, it's just that was that was so fun watching that on Sunday. It reminds me of all the other great playoff performances we have seen uh, from Bay Area teams, especially the Giants. It was just it was just fun to watch, really. It just whenever you see a virtuoso Steph Curry performance like that, we were giddy about it all day yesterday. You know, less so today, you know, because we're moving on to the second round. But we are talking about Giants baseball right now. And. While the Warriors did have a great weekend in Sacramento, the Giants, not so much a great weekend in Mexico City. A lot of home runs, Shasky. I think there were 15 home runs, I think. No, yes, 15 combined home runs, eight for the Giants, seven for the Padres over the weekend at a stadium that was, you know, 2,000 feet above Coors Field. You know, just seeing the Giants go to Denver is enough to to give me anxiety. This was like Denver on steroids. Uh, what did you think, just, you know, right off the bat, watching all these these two games in, uh, in Mexico City? I don't understand all the crying. I enjoyed it. It's something different. Like, you're telling me that Yankee Stadium in April, when it's 40 degrees, plays the same as it does in the middle of July? No, it doesn't. Now, it may not be as home run crazy, but it's certainly not hitter friendly. You know, AT&T Park on a Tuesday night when it's 46 degrees and blustery and the marine layer is thick and heavy. You think the ball's traveling? Like, we're all crying about this. I'm not. I don't think you are. But I saw Sean Estes crying about this, and I'm like, Sean, shut up. You play baseball at Candlestick as a pitcher. Do you know how much of an advantage you have? Like, 
I don't expect things to be all equal. And here's the irony. Giants had as many home runs um, opportunities as the Padres. So I'm tired of hearing it. I knew the Padres bats would be woken up. I love that we're growing the game in Mexico. It is a baseball starved country that truly loves it. I wish we could do more things down there. Okay. Maybe you do the humidifier or move the fences back a little like Stop crying. It was awesome. I enjoyed it. The atmosphere was great. Why does everything have to be a bitch session for everyone to complain <laughs> and cry because their team got the short end of the stick? I, I see. I'm I'm not totally on board with what Essa said, but I it was fun. It was fun seeing all the home runs. Jeez. The offense was fun. that that field played really fast too. Of I mean, you saw these ground balls. They were skittering across the ground. The idea of having to watch a team play 81 games there. That that I agree with. That would be pretty brutal to watch. I think for a quick, you know, weekend getaway, I think that works. I saw people, you know, tweeting over the weekend, you know, who cares about the home runs elevation? We need to get a team in Mexico City. It's the home runs are what it's all about. No, that would going to Denver is tough enough to have to go to Mexico city on top of that. Like RIP all pitcher ERAs. No one would want to pitch there. I think it was a good, it's, it's good for a fun weekend as far for a team playing up that high of an elevation. It, it would just, it would, it would, I feel like it would not work out long-term one thing. Maybe I would like to see there. How about an all-star game and a home run derby in Mexico? That would be city? fun. I mean, see, we thought a home run derby in Colorado was crazy. Imagine adding another 2000 feet of elevation. I mean, yeah. Danny Machado hit a home run to right field on Sunday. It was 98 miles an hour off the bat. Sam, Sam why, why is there so much crying in baseball about things have to be uniform? The dimensions aren't uniform. Every ballpark plays different. You, we're not all at sea level. You know, like, I don't understand this 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 crying and complaining from the, the baseball fan that everything must be equal when nothing's equal. Like, oh, no, nothing no, is equal. They were, using, yeah. they were using home run bowls for Aaron Judge last year. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that. I mean, yeah, nothing's obviously equal when it comes to baseball. That's fine. It's one of the only sports where, you know, all the dimensions are different. All the ballparks exactly. play different. different. But there bats. is a line, I feel. And I feel when you get so far above sea level like that, it's just it it creates such a it creates almost too different of a dynamic there. That so do you think that like was, Salt Lake City shouldn't have a team because of elevation concerns? Well, isn't that, well Salt Lake City, it's right around a mile above uh, Denver, isn't it? I yeah, feel like they, like where Denver is at a mile above sea level. I feel like that's that that's your ceiling for yeah, lack of a better word. Rock, like any anything the above the made a championship. Line, what was that? They made it to a World Series. Oh, yeah, like no, they're acting like they're at a competitive disadvantage. I I, I don't know. It would, I feel like it'd be tough on really really tough on pitchers. Oh, that I point. agree with. It yeah, would be like very difficult to field a team. Yeah, I mean that I think that right there is the problem as to why maybe you would not want to go to Mexico City for a team full time because when you have a, a situation where you know, like no, if building a, if building a team is going to be that difficult because of the location, I feel like, you know what, maybe not Mexico city. There's probably other places in Mexico that are probably closer to sea level, perhaps um, where you can do it. Maybe it's a dome stadium. Maybe it's a humidifier really? hey, baseball in Mexico. Is it possible? I'm sure it is seeing it in Mexico city over the weekend. I feel like it would be almost like too much of a good thing. Maybe too many home runs, too much high elevation, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. I know no, I maybe just, I'm raining I, on the parade here a little no, bit. I just don't understand why everyone has to like the fair police need to come out for everything. It's a two game <laughs> series. And if they built a division in Mexico, it would be freaking awesome. And you would want to visit to go see a, a road series of the giants playing against the Tijuana, whatever's or <laughs> the Mexico city, whatever. It's like, I don't know. I'm all for it. I, I think this is, this is an opportunity and a lane for them to, to figure something out. I don't know. I, I, 
I am not opposed to it. I think everybody bitching and crying and complaining. There are smart people that can figure out amicable solutions. And again, I keep going back to if you think the Arizona Diamondbacks, their stadium in July plays the same way that AT&T does in the middle of May on a Tuesday night, you're tripping. Yeah. Well, again, it was again, still still t- two fun games. It was nice to see the Giants bats wake up. Unfortunately, the pitching, uh, I almost feel like you got to put an asterisk over uh, the pitching stats from this weekend because these pitchers got lit up. And it was it was just a rough time on the mound uh, for the Giants pitchers. Sean Manaya took the start in that Saturday game. And he that start was even rougher for him than for most guys. He took a 107 mile an hour line drive off the knee. You could see the amount of pain he was in just watching it. I mean, he was he was kind of shaking the trainer off. He was just really all up in the feelings about getting, you know, the, the, the fastball right off the knob and the knee it looked like there. And he still stays in uh, and tries to fight through it. That was, it was I guess, admirable to kind of watch him cut through that at the same time. He's, he's pitching. You're just like, ah, the, your, your legs hurting for him. Uh, another kind of a positive, though, that we saw this weekend was we kind of saw Mitch Haniger finally yeah. arrive. He got his first couple home runs here. Uh, he's finally kind of, you know, take more of a presence in the middle of that lineup. Something the Giants could really use if they are to kind of reverse kind of this this new four game losing streak that they're on right now. Boy, you know, watching Mitch Haniger this weekend, I was like, I could see it. I see what they see. Like Conforto, I've seen what they see. Like those are nice acquisitions. Just wish they had some center of the order, uh, you know, stud that you could surround these other guys with. Like to me, Haniger is a perfect five hitter. Like in an ideal situation, if you had Buster still, or maybe you land Correa at the top of the order, or you landed Aaron Judge, or you know, one day do uh, Mauricio uh, Marco Luciano comes up and he's that that clear number three or number four hitter. Like those are the kind of guys you could suck supplement with some sort of a superstar player in the middle of the order. Like I like him. I like Mitch Haniger. And I feel like it's kind of been like the butt of the jokes. Like, oh, Mitch Haniger is going to bring him out to the ballpark. It's like, Sam, he's a he's a good player. Yeah, he's not going to drive guys away from the ballpark. But yeah, he's just he's not a marquee name. It's 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 hard to sell Mitch Haniger as a marquee name. But that, Agreed. you know, as long as, you know, it, it, he can't be that presence in the middle of. I do agree with you. That five spot, I think, would be perfect for him. Who handles Six that four hole. spot? I know JD Davis has been there a little I bit like of times. JD Davis. JD Davis in the four spot, I do like a lot right now. But yeah, I think yeah, once you could, Hanneker does kind of feel maybe miscast being yeah. leaned upon as as a cleanup guy. But again, this is the same but organization like that once. This is the same organization that once had Benji Molina hitting cleanup. And exactly. it was like, yeah, that's all right. You know, Ray Durham yeah. was once the upon a time a cleanup hitter. Maybe the, the Giants just have a cursed history with cleanup guys. It seems like it. They haven't really had, ever since Bonds. I mean, even Buster Posey as a cleanup guy, it miscast. never really. He was miscast. It never yeah. really felt right there. The Giants, again, it's 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 a continuing search for cool. again replacing legends you're they're trying to find a new left fielder since bonds trying to find a new catcher now they're trying to find someone else who can handle that four spot in the lineup and it just does not look like it is mitch hanniger but it's might he might be him and jd davis probably the best options right now uh for the foreseeable future and i think this reinforces this my belief Farhan is good on the outside the box thinking acquisitions like, you know, uh, shoring up things with a budget with, with a small budget. The, the question is, is not like, can he can he find, you know, a five hitter and a six hitter and can he find a three and a four hitter like that's mm-hmm. either in his own system or via free agency or through a trade and that you're incomplete. 
Like, yeah, we don't I judge think, you on the drapes. I judge you on the foundation of the home, of the kitchen, I, I of, feel the, like that of is, the bathroom. I feel like that is kind of the goal here. It's like they want to find, you know, Hanegers and Confortos. They want to find those guys on the open market. But when you do find that big bopper who could sit in the middle of the lineup, I, my guess is they are hoping that is going to be internal. They do hope that it's yes. going to be a Marco Luciano or even a Grant McRae or a Vaughn Brown. Someone has to come up internally and be that big bat in the lineup because i mean the last couple of years with free agency you had carlos correa the last two years aaron judge bryce harper like big time sluggers like that i know we've seen a lot on the market in the last few years it they don't happen it does not happen very often very no. rarely do you see legitimate four hitters hitting the open market in the next few years i mean the best hitter you're probably gonna see on the open market in the next couple of years might be matt chapman and that's not a he's four not hitter, worth so. the money yeah and so he, the Giants, they're going to have to, you know, right. develop their uh, their their four spot internally. One spot in the lineup that I'm really kind of liking right now, Shasky, is the uh, the top two spots in the order. Uh, we've talked about Tyra Estrada a lot. He's been awesome. I'm I'm really liking Lamont Wade Jr. a little bit more now in the one spot. That one two punch of Lamont Wade Jr. and Estrada to lead off games. It's it's kind of working. I know we kind of get on Lamont Wade for he walks too much. He doesn't get enough hits. But you're looking at kind of the production, the numbers that he's putting up right now. It's very similar to what he put up uh, in 2021. Uh, it's just been only 73 plate appearances this far so far this year in the one spot. He's hitting 259, 16 walks, and four home runs. Uh, the the strikeout rate's a little bit down from 2021 when he hit 266 in the leadoff spot. He had 16 home runs. The big difference, though, he had 22 walks in the leadoff spot in 21. He has already the 16 walks this year. He's seeing the zone better. He's striking out a little bit less. You're seeing a little bit more power. I, I would like to see a little bit more contact to, to uh, offset the lack of speed. I believe Sunday uh, he had him over. He had you drew the walk. Estrada hit a hard uh, single to right to uh, Tatis out there, and Lamont Wade he was thrown out at third by Tatis because he just he doesn't have that first to third speed. I think you need a little bit more contact from him to offset that lack of speed, but. Other than that, I think you might have a solid, you know, leadoff uh, one-two punch right there. Yeah, the, I know that Wade's been walking a lot, and his OBP is excellent. I just, he's not a bat on ball, run the bases kind of a guy. Like he's not prototypical to me, uh, but I do believe he's making the most of his opportunities, and it's good to see him round into form. I just. I love Estrada. I would love a more speedster version of someone like Lamont Wade Jr. Yeah. That's just me. The way I would like to build my team. You're talking about ballpark con construction, you know, going first to third, stealing bases, like the whole league stealing bases, but the Giants, it feels like. No, the Giants are not big on the stolen base. And maybe they can get a little bit creative here. Maybe it's a situation where you use that nine spot as an extra leadoff spot. Maybe you throw Austin Slater in there to get a little bit more speed at the bottom of the lineup to put in front of Lamont Wade Jr. So that when the lineup turns over, you got a little bit more speed at the bottom. Maybe they can do a little bit something like that. Uh, really quick before we move on, though, uh, mm -hmm. we do have a quick injury, a couple injuries we need to get into. Mike Yastrzemski and uh, Brandon Crawford both hitting the IL. Cal Stevenson and Brett Wisely were called up. Probably going to see a lot more Brett Wisely in the outfield now to take Mike Yastrzemski's time. But, uh, man, seeing Yaz go down after the start of the, the, the season he's had, it doesn't sound like it's going to be an awful injury. It doesn't sound like it's going to be out for too long, but three, four weeks, possibly a month, it, just horrible luck for Yaz. Yeah, uh, I, I just the guy watching him come in on that ball. I knew right away he was hurt. And I and I just I feel really bad for the guy. I really do because um, he was really playing well. 
And I think this is an injury that's going to really hurt them. He gives them tremendous defensive strengths up the middle when they're not the greatest defensive outfield. Um, even though I do like Conforto in the, in right field, like the, they're in for some trouble here. I don't think this is a week's injury. I think this is no. a month's injury. And I think that they're downplaying it right now until they get further information. I'm really worried about this yeah. one. And it sucks because it did feel like Yaz was turning the corner. Yeah, the, the early uh, the early reports are it's a grade one hamstring strain. Doesn't seem like there should be any surgery there. But hammies are tricky. It's going to take a while. And a big part of the Giants' offensive strategy is being able to have Slater and Yastrzemski kind of platooning out there in center field. Slater handles the righties. Yaz handles the – sorry, Slater handles the lefties. Yaz handles the righties. That's why I think you'll probably see a little bit more Brett Wisely. He hit 289 in the minors against righties the last couple of years. But his bat needs to come around and see the major league pitching. We'll see what Cal Stevenson has, but – it, it That is a devastating injury for the Giants to have to deal with right now. You are listening to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. Sam Loveman here with Joe Shasky coming at you every week with the best Giants content out there. For more of this Giants content, make sure you're liking, rating, subscribing, reviewing, and all that other stuff that you like to do with podcasts. Uh, so I do want to get into this uh, a conversation that kind of popped up last week about the Giants and the A's. Before we do get into that, though, Shasky, the Giants were in Houston last night taking on the defending champions led by the possibly the greatest hitter in the American League right now, Mauricio Dubon. Uh, Shasky, Mauricio Dubon, Giants killer. Not the words that I expected to say this year. Well, did you hear what he said in the postgame? I did, but why don't let's get into that right now? Uh, what did you? Yeah, why don't you recap kind of what he said and let's get into that. He basically felt like he got the raw end of the deal, and that's not what I really want to break down because I do think he got opportunities. I do think he had chances, and I don't think he's the greatest player. Like, he's got a lot of flaws, but it felt like to me there was a human element or a lack of the human element regarding Dubon, his playing time, his departure, etc., and. You know, he obviously bunted up, you know, a zillion runs and maybe he feels some kind of way because of that. I don't know. I, he's probably not the greatest vehicle to deliver this message. <laughs> but let's take a step back. Forget Mauricio Dubon saying that they have a lack of a human element. I think my biggest issue, and it's not analytics versus old school, just the way the Giants have operated the last couple of years. My particular belief, they don't have the human feel. It feels to me like they've lost the human element touch. No, an at-bat in the ninth inning is not the same as an at-bat in the third inning. Now, they will tell you, oh, it's all the same. It doesn't matter. Slate's just coming up no matter what. And it's like, come on, stop being a robot. You know, the way that they yo-yoed guys right before opening day when when uh, I forget the guy's names, fam, Bryce Johnson's uh, family yeah. was going to be there. Happy. You know? Yeah. Yeah, like that. That was weak, you know? Like, yeah. really? Did you really? Like, we haven't even seen Matt Beatty this year for the Giants. Was it really worth it? Was all of that no. yo-yoing? I think he had hours? a. I think he had a position player on the mound inning. That was that was about all we really got from Matt Beatty. So no, I'm glad that we could you know leave Matt Bryce Johnson off the roster there. But like, I, do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, and I again, I'm not. I'm not anti. I'm not anti-data. Don't like that has always been a part of the game. But you also have to acknowledge that you feel as a Giants fan very disconnected to the constant roster movement transactions, the constant tinkering with the 23rd, 24th, 25th man. And yes, I believe that you can get marginally better on those things. But at the same time, you're wearing me out like you're yeah. wearing me. I have no attachment emotionally to any of them. And I do feel when a player says this, even of the caliber of Dubon, you got to think 
that other veterans around the league are saying, why would I want to go play for a feelless class, uh, not classless, but a feelless, soulless organization like that, that doesn't care about the individual? I don't know. I to, so to me, my, this is a microcosm of bigger issues. Yeah. So my only counter to that is that, I mean, when Dubon was here, the Giants, they gave him basically three and a half or I guess two years plus two half years, depending on how you want to look at 2019 and 2020. Like he had a lot of opportunity to really establish himself here. And for the most part, I mean, he had moments, you know, he started off two for two against Clayton Kershaw. That was kind of cool. Other than that, though, I mean, there was base running mistakes. There was defensive mistakes. There just wasn't enough offense to really justify working with him. I mean, he talks about, you know, I was really mistreated because of playing time. Bro, you got a lot of playing time. None of us were really that impressed with the playing time that we saw. It was a great story. Grew up a Giants fan. Huge Brandon Crawford fan. Was turning double plays with his childhood idol. Those are cool stories, but cool stories don't put runs across the plate. You know, this is a guy who, more or less, he was a below average hitter. Could he be helping them now? Probably. Is it something that, did he figure something out or did the Astros figure something out? Maybe. I'm trying to, last night I'm looking at, you know, Dubon's stats. I'm trying to figure out, What's different about him? Was it the the batting stance? He has a new batting stance every week. So I don't know if it's that. The only noticeable difference really is that he's swinging in the zone a lot more and he's missing those pitches in the zone a lot more. Does he have a little bit better uh, command of the strike zone? That might help, but he's still a slap happy hitter. There's not a lot of power there. No, he's barely got any extra base hits right now. I mean, I think he's just off to a hot start and he just, you know, he's just kind of feeling himself right now. Talk a little smack to his former employer after a big win. So I do think, yeah, the human element thing, you're not wrong there, but let's be honest. I mean, Mauricio Dubon, he had a chance to really establish no himself with the Giants and it just wasn't happening. Now, would I have given him up for, you know, four days of Mike Papierski? Probably not. But if it wasn't four days of Mike Papierski, it was going to be like 13 days of Kevin Padlow. So either way, you know, it, it just wasn't working out for Mauricio Dubon. Now, Again, as we talk about the human element with the Giants, let's switch over to another uh, story that kind of deals with a not-so-great human element, and that is uh, the relationship between the Giants and the A's. So last week, uh, John Shea, friend of the Morning Rose, wrote an interesting column for the Chronicle about basically saying that when the A's move, you know, some blame belongs to the Giants, which my first thought was like, that seems a little harsh, but not too, uh, you know, you're not, not, not too off base. Uh, the Giants did release a statement after the A's announced their purchasing of land. The statement was the A's are such a big part of the Bay Area baseball history, the East Bay and the greater community. If this comes to be, it will not it will be a loss not only for A's fans, but for all baseball fans, which to me, I read that as all oh, that's too bad. So sad. See you later. Um, Chasky, when you heard when you kind of saw that, you know, the finger being pointed at the Giants, what was kind of your first thoughts there? Well, I think if you put a pie chart together, right, a pie chart of culpability, if you will, and who's to blame on why the A's are moving a big slice is ownership. Mm -hmm. There is a slice for the Giants like that's undeniable, but it's also like, yes, are you in a partnership with them with Major League Baseball? Absolutely. But you're also competitively fighting for extra dollars, fighting for eyeballs, fighting for market share. So from a business standpoint, everybody says, oh, of course, Starbucks, or excuse me, of course, the Giants should let the A's move to, you know, spot A. 
would Starbucks allow Pete's coffee to take up prime real estate that they own particular zoning territories to? No, no business mm-hmm. would. No one else would, right? Like you're not giving up mm-hmm. a part of your backyard that you're using currently or not using currently to your neighbor without financial compensation or unless you deemed it to be an important business part of your uh, business strategy for your business, right? So like to me, yes, the Giants do deserve blame to some degree, but that's to be expected. Right now, the Orioles and the Nationals are fighting over market share. And a lot of owners are pissed off that the Nationals were allowed to kind of invade the Baltimore television market and kind of cripple the Baltimore Orioles when it comes to viewership. Now, Baltimore is at fault for not fielding a good team for what felt like 15 years. So it's never one thing. There's many layers to this. I do feel like the Giants deserve some blame, but at the same time, it's not personal. It's business. Yeah, I think this is this is kind of one of those situations where the you have the intersection of where the sport of baseball meets the business of baseball. Uh, I want to do just a quick history lesson here and see if I can do this within a minute. Basically, the, the A's and the Giants, there's always been kind of a butting of heads here. They moved here in the late 60s. Charlie Finley moved the A's here. And that rubbed, you know, current Giants owner Horace Stoneham the wrong way because Stoneham wanted the Bay Area to himself. Mm-hmm. He comes here. A's win a bunch. Giants, Stoneham, Empire Falls, that leads to Bob Lurie. Eventually, Charlie Finley, who was not really well-liked, he sold the A's to the Haas family. And Lurie and the Haas family, they really got along very well with each other. And this is where things kind of start to go downhill for the A's, is that when Lurie was on the precipice of moving the Giants out of the Bay Area, Walter Haas gifted the San Jose Territory, the Santa Clara County Territory, to Bob Lurie as way, hey, Put a ballot measure in San Jose. See if you can get your stadium down there and we'll keep these two teams in the Bay Area. That measure failed. It was a handshake agreement. And when that measure failed, Laurie sold and the Giants eventually built the ballpark at Third and King that we know and love now. But the issue was this was a then, of course, really quick. Then Hodds eventually sold those sold the A's to Steve Schott, who then eventually sold the A's to Lou Wolf and John Fisher. Here's the thing now, that handshake agreement about Santa Clara County, it wasn't binding to future parties. It was an agreement between two owners at the time that the McGowan ownership group and the Steve Schott, Lou Wolf, John Fisher ownership groups were not really bound to. So when it came time to, hey, we need San Jose back, the Giants were under really no obligation to return that territory. This was basically... The A's made a business, made a, a a friendly gesture that the Giants turned around into a business decision. And exactly. that's kind of the, the unfortunate reality of it. Let me ask you this. Would Joe Lakeup let the Kings move to Oakland? No, he would not. Exactly. It's just it's it's it becomes business, and that's the ugly side of it. Like, Maybe I mean, it be that way, but it's, it's the truth. Would yeah. would would the Yankees would the Yankees allow the, the Florida Marlins right now to move into Brooklyn? No. And I think this is where that whole kind of crazy concept of territorial rights really kind of rears its ugly head that a lot of people don't like. Uh, You know, Shot in his book, Long Shot, that uh, John Shea helped him wrote, he kind of talks about the whole concept of territorial rights. Basically, he says the whole thing about territorial rights is a fugazi or a fugazi, a wizzy-wazzy, however you want to put it. He actually put an interesting thought where he mentioned something I thought that was kind of interesting. And that was it wasn't supposed to when the A's were trying to move to San Jose. It wasn't just going to be, hey, give us San Jose back. There was a deal for the A's to cede parts of the East Bay over to the Giants in exchange. It was not just to give me San Jose back. It was it was going to be there was going to be a trade there. The Giants were going to come away with this was about, you know, 
13 years ago. And the Giants, basically, they they were not on board with that. They truly feel that they need San Jose. Uh, Larry Bear said this back in 2011. Uh, the South Bay is a core piece of our business model when we bought this team. We based much of our entire business strategy on Santa Clara County being a piece of our territory. And I don't think it is overstating it to say that allowing another franchise into our territory would set a dangerous precedent and have a traumatic effect on this franchise. If we were to go down to two and a half million in attendance, We'd be in the in the poop, he said. He didn't say poop. Uh, this franchise would be completely destabilized. So for me, the question is, is baseball willing to have two teams receiving money from the revenue sharing pool or one that is so financially healthy that it paid $30 million into it? You see, it is a priceless thing. They truly see San Jose and the Santa Clara County as being a major source of revenue for themselves. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But that's the excuse that, that the Giants and Larry Bear we're standing with, and that kind of set the stage for the whole lawsuit that happened between San Jose and Major League Baseball that was eventually dismissed. Add in the fact that Selig has always, Bud Selig, who was the commissioner at the time, was always kind of hesitant to really get into the territorial rights waters because that's a dangerous precedent. The whole point of why the Giants were able to keep San Jose is, well, if they lose their territorial rights, what's to stop the Yankees from losing theirs or the Cubs Mm -hmm. from losing theirs? So That's been my point the entire time. Yeah, it's so it's 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 a tough situation. Yes, it the is. Giants deserve blame and that they would not get out of the way. Sure, there were no obligation to. That, and honestly, sorry, but that also it. takes the onus off of the A's. Like to me, yeah. it takes too much of the like they deserve the bulk of the blame. Yes, the Giants do deserve a slice. I'll listen to that. But there's also like I'm a capitalist and I believe in business first. You know, that's yeah. just how I run my life. Yeah, and so. I don't knock the Giants. That is a key part of their business strategy. Like it, it's undeniable having people from the South Bay and the Peninsula that are the largest territories in the Bay Area come up to Oracle Park is a big part of their business strategy. Why would they give that up? Exactly. I mean, this is again. It's it's becomes to it comes down to business, and the fact of the matter is, the A's made a bad business decision and you know what the now, irony is yeah had had the a's built a stadium 15 years ago think about where they would be right now mm-hmm. think about where the giants would be you're seeing bad attendance and the giants have a beautiful park and three championships right it mm-hmm. was just eight nine years ago and the ballpark is empty imagine how many people would say you know instead of the the, the twelve thousand that are there now maybe it's four thousand in a giants game and the a's are getting that extra eight thousand that would go to a giants game but instead want to stay in the east bay or are coming from san jose to come up like yeah they had they didn't have to just be in san jose they could yeah, have been it, anywhere on that you know, side you know where the a's could have been a coliseum Plus, site Yes. You know, the fact of the matter is they never have given the call and see insight a shot. Lou yes. Wolf was trashing it long ago. You had Fisher trashing it. Steve Schott was even trashing it. That is a huge plot of land. And you're going to tell me you're going to look at that massive plot of land and say you can't do anything with it. It's not that hard to get to. you got Bart right there. A's fans have been going to it for years. You know, people's like, oh, well, that's a really lousy part of town. Shasky. You're old enough to remember what, you know, the Soma neighborhood was like uh, pre-Oracle Park. Was it a hopping neighborhood down there? No, not at all. But I think there was a civic business partnership between the Giants and the city to make it work. And both parties delivered on that, right? Like Mm -hmm. the Giants put together competitive teams. They didn't win at all. Competitive teams. And the city put beautiful infrastructure around it. And business went booming. Like it was, it really is the greatest civic team partnership that I can think of in my lifetime. Yeah. So before we move on, I guess just one last question. We can try to make it quickly. 
is the Bay Area big enough to support two baseball teams? Because we've seen already that's apparently not big enough to support two football teams. Is this is it just maybe it's just the Bay Area is too small? I don't know, man. Our spending habits like right now, times are really hard. Like we're in a depression. People don't want to admit it. Like they can say, uh, you know, oh, we're, we're tapering back a little. No, no, no. We're in a depression right now. And I think in the Bay Area more than any other place, extra dollars are thinner than ever before. So I don't know if it can currently be a two-team model. And Bonte and I have argued about this. And at, at one time in the early 2000s, they had about 5 million fans combined. And that felt very, very thriving. That's the only time in the last 60 yeah. years since the A's have moved that it was over 5 million for the combined. I just think that one team will always be the dominant and the other will be the bottom feeder. It's very difficult for both teams to be good at the same time. It's very difficult for both teams to be good, period. Let yeah. alone both be good at the same time. Yeah, I mean, the Bay Area, it is the smallest two-team market behind uh, Chicago, New York, and L.A. And I when mean, you say it might be the most transient of all of those, given how young the demographic is and how difficult it is to raise families out here? Oh, yeah. You got a lot of Bay Area natives who move out of the area, exactly. a lot of who move from out of the area into the Bay Area. It's it's a very different demographic, socioeconomical makeup that you don't really see in other major cities like this. And, yeah, that could just be the the unfortunate rub is that at the end of the day, this this town might be too small for the two of us. So you are listening to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast, Sam Lubin and Joe Shasky. We're coming at you every week with all your best Giants content. Make sure you've liked this podcast, subscribe to it, make sure you're reviewing it. Uh, and most importantly, share it, share it, share it. Tell everybody you have ever met that they need to listen to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. Before we get out of here, Shasky, uh, I want to bring back a segment that we really enjoyed last year. That's a little bit of three up, three down here for the month of April. Got the first month in the books here. So are you doing all of them or am I doing any of them? I want oh, you to do them go, all. Let's go back. No, you do them all. You, oh, do you go them back. All, all right, there you go. So I got my three. Let's start with my three ups then. Give it and to the me. first up I want to give it to is Anthony DiSclefani. Welcome back, dude. It's great to have 2011 Anthony DiSclefani, or sorry, 2021 Anthony yes. DiSclefani out there dealing. He has looked so much better. The Absolutely. ankle clearly is not bothering him anymore. Uh, maybe that was the reason he struggled last year. Glad to have him back on board. I am uh, too. I am yeah. too. It's good to see him. And and for a guy that they invested so heavily into multi-year deal, obviously was supposed to be one of the linchpins of the rotation. It's great to have him back right now. And I agree. He looks fantastic. Yeah. You really see, I think he, he's really got that feel of the slider again this year. He's starting to, he's getting guys out with it in the same rate he was two years ago. I would like to see a little bit more from the thinker though, but there's still a little, a lot of time early. He's probably getting a little bit more contact there then would probably be, you know, that, that you would really want. But one a couple of things I really like what you're seeing from DiSclefani is the walk rate is down this year. He's getting more ground balls. Hopefully he can really continue that because, again, if he can kind of be a linchpin atop the rotation with Alex Cobb and Logan Webb, that's a good one, two, three punch the Giants can get there. And seeing DiSclefani back has been one of the early joys uh, of this season. Um, next uh, up I want to move on to Lamont Wade Jr., who is uh, – Really getting off to a uh, really finishing this month on a hot streak here, hitting 364 here in the last week of April, four home runs during that span. The speed isn't there, but he's playing respectable defense. He's getting on base. We're really seeing, I want to say he's back to late night Lamont. 
but he's heading in that direction right now. Well, and he's playing better defense first base wise than I thought he would. I mean, surprisingly, he looks totally rejuvenated. I mean, really only saw him for like three quarters of the season in 2021, but he does look a lot better. I would like to see him put the ball in play more often, to be quite honest with you. That's my one criticism, but you've got to love what you've seen thus far. Yeah, I mean, he's he's setting himself up. He's putting himself in positions to where he is. He's got a great command of the strike zone. I mm-hmm. do think you'll start seeing the contact come a little bit more. Again, as I mentioned a little bit earlier on this pod, like he's not too far off from the production that we saw in 2021 but improved a little bit. Like I said, more he's got more of a feel for the strike zone. He's only swinging at the pitches he knows he can hit. He's lowering the, the strikeout rate, and he's focusing on those in-zone pitches. When you start doing that, you're setting yourself up to be in a situation where eventually more hits will start coming. Uh, last up, J.D. Davis. He can play defense too. You know, they, they call him just dingers, just doubles. How about just defense? You know, there's, there's so many great things. <laughs> can't say enough about J.D. Davis, who right now he's – I think I believe he's leading the Giants in home runs right now with uh, six or seven. Is he the most surprising Giant thus far? He might be. I, I did not have a whole lot of expectations for J.D. Davis coming into the season. When I look at that Darren Ruff trade, I'm thinking, cool, Thomas Sapucky. I think he could be a, a good part of this bullpen down the road. No, no, J.D. Davis has been the, the, the centerpiece of that trade. And yeah, he looked like a guy who, okay, maybe he's like a good bench guy last year. He looks like a lineup linchpin right now. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, obviously the power in the bat, but to me, just the way he approaches these at-bats, he puts together good at-bats. Like, that's the thing I love about him. And on a team with a lot of guys that refuse to swing at times, he likes to swing, and I love that about him. Defensively, he's way better than I thought, though. Oh, yeah, defensively. I mean, the eye test tells it. The metrics tell us, too. He's their best defender right now, by far. Uh, And just that. I didn't have that heading into this year. I thought he was more Darren Ruff. He's he's the the four. He's probably their best option at the four spot right now. He's there. He can handle both corners of the infield, third base and first base. Well, defensively, uh, again, he's another guy a lot like Lamont Wade Jr. The strikeout rates down so far this year. A lot of guys on this team. You, you see these guys, they're striking out a lot, but the K rate overall is kind of dropping for a lot of their key hitters here. The one kind of concern I do have right now is that, uh, 40% of his fly balls have been home runs so far this year. He's got a career rate of about 20%. So that will probably drop a little bit more. He's also not putting the ball in the air as much, just a little bit uh, putting the ball in the air a little bit less this year than he was last year. But other than that, though, I mean, if this is a guy who you can get a little bit more line drive power in there here, hit, hit more parts of the field. He's more of a pull and set in a straightaway kind of hitter. And uh, I seared the dog in the background. He seems to really be uh, vibing on J.D. Davis, too, right now. So. My dog is driving me nuts. <laughs> Give me the three down so we can get on out of here. Yeah, I know. Let's the dog. <laughs> uh, so our three downs really quick. Sounds like someone needs a walk. Logan Webb, simply put, this was not a good month for him. One and no. five, a 410 ERA. I believe he gave up 11 home runs last year, seven already this year. He's hitting the strike zone a lot more, which is good. Maybe he's hitting the strike zone a little too much there. Uh, where's it, panic concern level? level uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how worried are you about Logan Webb right now? I'm at like a three or four, at least for this year. This year it feels like um, he's just going to have to rebound and do the – oh, my God, this dog. <laughs> driving me nuts. My dog is having a Logan Webb start to the season right now in the room. No snap on the break, driving me nuts, nibbling the corners. And when he does throw one over the middle, it's getting hit and it's getting hit hard. Oh, all right. Well, let's let's rat tat these last I'm two so downs sorry. here. Uh we'll do a David VR. 
he's not hitting well right now. Um, you see the flashes. He, I talked to him the other week. He's in a good place right now. The Giants really trying to work on him mechanically, but I feel like if it weren't for the amount of injuries the Giants have right now, I don't think David VR would be on the big league roster right now. Yeah, but I like that they're giving them opportunities to try to play through it. I think last year he would have been up and down and up and down and up and down. I at least like that we get a chance to see him. And, it, and if it comes to fruition that he's not good, then so be it. Like, let's yeah. see it. I, we've been clamoring to see young people. I want to see the young guys at the big league level. I don't want to see Casey Schmidt at triple I. I want to yeah. see him up. I want to see VR. I'd rather see him struggle than see, you know, player X who's 32 years old, who's got no more options in the minors, but you acquired him for no reason other than to, you know, get a marginal upgrade over a guy like David VR, who's 25 from your own system. And you want a reward because he was awesome in the, in the minor leagues. Yeah. I think there's something you said there. This is a, I feel like again, the giants are probably in this battle of, are we a good team that can contend? Or are we a team that's going to let guys kind of work through their struggles right now, whether or not they're choosing to let David VR work through his struggles right now, or whether or not they're being forced to, He's being forced to work through it. And that you could take that as a positive. All it takes is a couple of good at bats to really get him back into form there, really get the mechanics in form. One thing I do like about David VR, though, is that you're the defense is there. He's been really good on defense. He's not JD Davis good, but no one's JD Davis good on defense right now. But he's really looked good, especially at second base. Yes. Jackson, watching the game last night in the yes. fifth inning, uh, there was runners on second, third, two outs. Bregman hits a ball to the left side of second base. VR comes across the bag. He's running to his right towards the left field line, fields the ball, turns around, makes it a fantastic play to get Bregman, beats him by half a step. Faster runner probably is safe, but it was one of those plays where it's like, that's a difficult play to make. And you, the offense is struggling. It's so easy for a guy who's struggling offensively to just let it go on the field as well. He's not doing that. He's looking better and better every week in the yeah. field. And so he's able to yes. kind of separate the struggles. And that's something you need to do as a big leaguer. Lastly, our last uh, down, I got to do it. It's a group. It's a group. Uh, it's a group pick. I'm going to go with the whole bullpen right yeah. now. It is not pretty right now. They have a 640 ERA, which is only behind the A's and White Sox wow. in Major League Baseball right now. That is not a cool. That is not the cool kids table. That is not who, the group you want to be in right now. Uh, they're giving up uh, about 1.6 home runs per nine innings, mm. also behind the White Sox. Here's an interesting stat that I saw. They're only stranding 60% of their runners. That is the worst in baseball. Um, Ouch. I don't know. Like part of it, you who's can say good. who's good right now coming out of that bullpen. Forget, forget what the struggles are. Who's good. David Alexander, maybe yeah, Scott Alexander's had Scott Alexander. Yeah, but then he, his, he's got an unsightly ERA that might be met. Right? With the enhanced Camille Duvall is kind of up and down right now. Tyler Rogers got victimized by Mexico city a little bit. I mean, that's the thing. these numbers are fresh off of the Mexico city appearance, which that's going to, that's going to inflate things a little bit, but you got two guys in Ross Stripling and Sean jelly who, whenever they've come out of the bullpen, you know, they kind of came out in kind of mop up roles. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Rogers took a while to really get in the form. He's looking a little bit better now, but the bullpen's a serious concern right now when this was supposed to be an upgraded unit this wow. year. I didn't subscribe to that, but yeah, it looks really bad right now. I mean, the Rogers brothers haven't been good enough. Duvall's been erratic at best. And then also the victim of poor defense, like the Ostremski blooper the other night. Mm -hmm. Ostremski comes up and pops his hamstring. If he makes that play, they get out of that inning. Yeah. So it's just, maybe it's a little bit of a bad luck. Some of it though is there are situations they're putting themselves in. Yeah. It's called meatballs. This, and then yeah. walking guys. 
Last year, they were very. This bullpen was very good at limiting hard contact. Yeah. This year, they're one of the worst in giving oh. up hard contact. And I just don't know what the fix is right now. Yeah, I don't uh, you can hope that Taylor Rogers and Sean Alexander pitch better, or maybe you go to the minor leagues. Maybe it's a Cole Waits. Maybe it's an RJ Davovich. Maybe it's a Melvin Adon. Uh, it's but right now the bullpen really it's it's just not working right now and. That is very concerning for a team that I think invested a lot of time and resources into making the bullpen not be the issue this year. Yeah, and I was hoping that Duvall could take a step forward. It just feels like he's he's kind of stuck where he's at right now, which is erratic performances. But the one good thing is it does kind of feel like he's trusting the fastball slightly more. I mean, that's and, the most positive thing I can come <laughs> up with. And you know what? Hey, positive steps are a good thing. It doesn't matter how small they yeah. are. Let's just move forward. Uh, thank you very much for joining us this week. It's a bit of a longer episode this week, yeah. but we had so much we so much giant stuff we really had to get off our chest here. So uh, for Sam Loveman and Joe Shasky, this is the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. We will be back uh, at some point next week, probably, to talk about more Giants baseball. Uh, they got the Brewers in town this weekend, and uh, I don't I don't see a, a, a turnaround team coming anytime soon. So the Giants are going to have to make their own turnaround. So until then, we will catch you on the next one.